This is Tim Doyle, lead pastor of Restoration Church. Welcome to our weekly podcast featuring content from our worship celebrations at Second and Francis in beautiful, historic downtown St. Joseph, Missouri. We exist to love, lead, and launch people in their destiny in God. For notes about today's message or for more information online about Restoration Church, visit restorationstj.com. Here's today's message. This morning, why don't you turn to the book of Nehemiah with me, if you will. Go there in your smartphone or your paper version, whatever you carry. I hope you do carry because that's what you need. That's the real weapon you better be carrying because uh, that's the one that really does the trick. And that's what we're here to talk about today. We're in the middle of a series we call Awakening, and we're in 50 Days of Awakening. And tonight, the furnace is part of our night of worship and prayer we do every Sunday night during this season. It'll wrap up Easter Sunday. So this is what, like about week 12 or something? I don't even know. This is the longest series in history that I've ever done. And we're not done yet. We've got three more weeks. So it's been really, really good. Love to have you back tonight at 630. The furnace is just our time to hang out together in the presence. Enjoy more of this awesome praise and worship. And just hear from God and pour our heart back to him. No agenda, just a whole lot of fun. So 6.30 tonight, come on back. Next Saturday morning, gentlemen, the guys are getting together. Ain't no man don't like no breakfast, especially when Kip Traster is in charge. You know it's going to be good. And, of course, Carrie's the cook, so you really know it's going to be good when Carrie's behind the meal. So next Saturday morning, 8.30 a.m. is start time. We're seeing a lot of interest from the guys in the community. Greg Hatton is our guest speaker. Greg is an amazing guy. I first met him last last Maker Fair, a year ago, March, when we had all these vendors and booths here in the room. And he had this crazy wooden boat set up right over there. And I was like, who is this guy? What is he doing making these things by hand? Found out that really he's a corporate dude who left Hallmark and worked for a bunch of other nationally known retailers. He's a, he's a stud when it comes to business, but his passion is helping people discover what makes them come alive on the wild scenic rivers of the West in these crazy handmade wooden boats. Crazy, like the one back there in the back. If you haven't seen it yet, that thing is heavy. Thanks to the men who helped carry it in, they know. I mean, it's like, how do you do that? And Greg's just a great guy. He leads these wilderness experiences now for people and also has a real heart to draw out the entrepreneur and the pioneer in young men and women. And I think what a great opportunity to invite people who may not come to a church thing, but they might come for breakfast and hear from a guy who's got 20 years in Hallmark and runs the wild rivers of the West. Come on, somebody. $5 is all it costs you to help cover the cost. So, guys, here's what I need. I need you to sign up back there, and I can't tell who's at the info desk back there. Is that Sherry? No, that's Ramona back there. Ramona, could you have a legal pad ready for people to sign up for the men's breakfast, just so we can have an estimate of count? We have an invite on Facebook, but, you know, sometimes people don't commit that way. So I need restoration guys to commit. Turn to your neighbor and say, commit. All right, exactly. So just let us know so that Carrie and Kip can have good preparation for the meal. All right? Um, I think that's it for, for invites, announcements. No, no. Easter Sunday, three weeks from today, and fresh, hot invites 
warm out of the oven back on the info desk today. They really are awesome. I've got a couple here to show you. Um, Zach did a great job. So they're large size this year, all right? Can't miss them. And on the back, just details of our Easter Sunday celebration with a QR code that you can snap and go right to our website and see what's up. So excited about Easter this year. Um, Again, it's the end of these 50 days of awakening for us, but the beginning I believe, of a new season. Not only is it Mark one year anniversary, you know, in this room, but really five years since we planted the church and in this house, boots on the ground, right, in this building. And I just kind of feel like there's significance about this transition into this next season. This 50 Days of Awakening has been a part of that. I've intentionally been kind of bringing you some some big topics uh, during this time to, to prepare us because I really believe that God wants to awaken us. Ephesians 5.14 has kind of become the watchword for us during this season. It says, wake up, sleeper. Come on. Somebody say, wake up. Wake up. Yep. Wake up, sleeper. And what's the next word? Rise. Rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. So first you wake up. After you wake up, what do you do? Go back to sleep? No. You rise. You rise up. And that's what I'm believing is going to happen Easter Sunday. How many of you will agree with me that this is our time to rise up? Come on, I need more than that. It's our time to rise up. So we're praying into that. That's a part of what the furnace is about tonight. So come back and join us if you can. Some of these big words, some of these big themes we've been unpacking during these 12 weeks of awakening. We talked about awaken to prayer, awaken to discern, awaken to healing, awaken to glory, awaken to repentance, to the word, to war, to fire, and I already said glory. Maybe we need double glory today, all right? So today we're going to talk about awakening to purpose. And I got to tell you, this is a topic that I really love to talk about. Um, The purpose of the five ministry offices, apostle, pastor, teacher, evangelist, who am I leaving out? Prophet. Those five, the purpose is to equip the body for works of service. Honey, can I have my water? No, I brought it up, didn't I? Excuse me while I get a little drink here. I'm glad to have a voice back. Just gets a little dry. We're being awakened as a church during this time. And God is using those gifts to bring us to a place where we're not only awake and conscious, but we do something about it. We rise up. And that's the next step, I believe, for us as a church. Today, awakening to purpose. What is that purpose? And immediately when I think about purpose, I think about Jesus' command uh, to his disciples, which how many today are disciples of Jesus? How many are Jesus followers? Most of us. Okay, you're, some of you are not sure yet. You're kind of timid. If you love Jesus and you've said yes to him, you're a disciple. Yes. Okay, so... This is to us, Jesus is talking in Matthew 22, reading from the New King James. Jesus said to him, the one who was asking him, what's the most important commandment? Here's his answer. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second one 
is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments, listen, hang all the law and prophets. Aren't you glad that Jesus condensed like a gazillion laws to two things? Aren't you glad? That, I can understand that. That, that's, that helps me. I'm not saying I do it all perfectly all the time, but at least I can get my mind around that. If I love God and I love people, then that pleases God. And, and I'm good with that, right? But I also thought of Matthew 28. This was another purpose that Jesus left for his disciples. In verse 16, this is as he's checking out, right? He says, the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Seriously, these people, they had seen him do miracles. They saw him crucified. They saw him rise from the dead, and they're still doubting. How long, oh Lord, right? Doesn't that just annoy you? It does me. Thank you, Lord, for your patience for us. <laughs> then Jesus came to them and said, all authority. Say, all authority. All. See, that's what we prayed in this morning, was the authority in the name of Jesus. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Aren't you glad that he didn't just give us commands and marching orders? He said, oh, by the way, I'm going with you. He sent the Holy Spirit, right? As a comforter, as a guide, as a teacher, we don't do this alone. And I just see in these two sections of verses, to me, the purpose of being a Christian. I condensed them like this. Our purpose as Jesus followers, love God, love people, make disciples. Everybody good with that? Is that what you read in those verses? Love God, love people, make disciples. So that is the purpose of the local church. Are we in agreement? That's our marching orders. Turn to your neighbor and say, he's talking to you. Exactly. If you're a part of the church and you say, Jesus is my Lord and I follow him, then that was your marching orders that Jesus gave to you. Love God, love people, make disciples. Now today, we're going to go to Nehemiah chapter 6. When I began to ponder the thought of, of awakening to purpose, um, Nehemiah immediately came to mind. And I'm just going to apologize up front. I've taught on Nehemiah <laughs> multiple times in these short 10 years that I've been pastoring a church in St. Joe because he's just such a great example to leaders, to those that are doing something for the kingdom. And so we're not going to go through the whole story today. I've got series on that. But today I'm going to go to chapter 6 because there was a, there's a flash here in the, in the life of Nehemiah that I thought, that's exactly the point we need to hear today. Nehemiah chapter 6. So just to give you some backstory, Nehemiah is serving a foreign king, right? Children of Israel have been in captivity. The, the city of Jerusalem has been seized, is broken down, is overrun. The enemy has just had his way. And the people of God are living in just squalor. And they're gates and their walls are broken down, burned with fire. The enemy can come and go at will. It's just like 
they're vulnerable. There's no protection. And Nehemiah is serving as cupbearer to a king. He's in the palace in far, far awayville, and he's got a good life, man. He's, he's made it, you know. He's got a good position. But there's something about in his heart, the homeland, that is burdening him. And so this is where we pick up the story when after Nehemiah has gone to the king, said, I have this burden for my people. He had favor with the king. The king equipped him and released him to go do it, which was a miracle. He got permission to even get resources from the king's forests, from the king's treasury, to go and rebuild the city of Jerusalem, rebuild the walls, rebuild the gates, bring her back to health and strength. It's kind of, to me, what building the church looks like. And we've been overrun. We've been, uh, you know, trashed by the enemy. And we're in the process of rebuilding. And it's, it's a big work. But Nehemiah had this passion and this heart. And the favor of God was on him. And saw some amazing things. And you, I want you to go read the first five chapters. Because it's a pretty, pretty cool story. But in, in chapter 6, you know, we find him once more being confronted. There were adversaries still in the area who didn't like it that Jerusalem was being rebuilt. They weren't happy about that. And they did their best to come against Nehemiah and against the work and belittle him and cut him down. And they couldn't stop him. So at this point in the, in the book... The wall is going up and the enemy's going, wait a minute, they're making progress. How many of you know we're making progress? Come on, we're making progress. It's easy for me to look around here and see the things that have yet to be done. I'll just be honest with you. That's easy for me to do. But I have to be reminded once in a while, we're making progress. And there's good things that are going on, have gone on. We've come a long way, baby, in five years. Just saying, okay? Even the push from that room to this room, those of you who weren't here, we were in that little room, you know, for four years doing two services because we just couldn't fit y'all in there. And I don't mind doing two, but I really like being together. I like us all being together. It's just a lot of fun. And we felt like last year the Lord just kind of gave us a challenge and said, it's time to break through that wall. And I'll tell you, you know, a, a couple things that happened because we knew what we were up against. It's like, wow, there's a lot to be done. And in one day, in one day, the Lord just blew through two significant challenges and confirmed, you're supposed to be in this room now. Even though we didn't know how it was going to happen, and I really felt like the challenge of the Lord to me was, if you don't break through now, you never will. I mean, that's why the word of the Lord is important to know. I mean, that wasn't like a scold. He was like, this is the moment. Do it. Go for it. How many of you were there when I think it was Joel and Shonda and Chris and I went back to that back wall? We stood there like we were under arrest, right? We were just leaning on that wall, praying, God, help us break through. And bless God, a year later, look where we are. Come on. We broke through. It was obedience to the Lord, but it was also the people of God saying, yeah, we'll do that. And now here we are a year later. We didn't know if we were going to be able to have heat this winter. 
We got heat. <laughs> now summer's coming, right? So we got to keep praying. But I love this, this place in the story, Nehemiah chapter 6, because the walls are going up and they're making progress. And I always tell people, listen, I've, I've been in this long enough, you know, ministered to pastors and churches, big ones, little ones. Um, I say the small struggling church isn't the one in the biggest trouble. It's the large successful church that's in the most trouble, in my opinion, because they begin to think that it's all about them, that they're the reason for their success. And gosh, if you all were spiritual, you'd be here because we got the best thing in town. Now, listen, I love what Jesus is doing here, but I just want you to know there's other things that Jesus is doing in this town that I love and I'm for and I champion because we are on the same team. And if we forget that, guess what? Like we talked about the glory, Holy Spirit says, I'm not a part of that. That's not my heart. How many of you know he's for the body of Christ of which we are a part? Man, this morning, it just we were praying for pastors and praying for churches, and that's the heart of Jesus, and he loves that. And so we've made some progress, but we can't start believing our own press and thinking, gosh, we're all that and a bag of chips, and, you know, we're so cool. And no, it's not that you don't see the good things that have happened. You just realize you're not there yet. And can I be honest? We're never going to get there hate to discourage you about that, but we're always going to be saying, Holy Spirit, what do you want to do? And he's going to be faithful to say, there's more to do. There's more to be done. Don't stop here. Don't set up camp here. Keep going. Come on. This is not the promised land. All right. We're on the way. Heaven is the promised land. In the meantime, there's more people in this city that need to know how good our father is. I need to enjoy this atmosphere of family. Celebration. All right, I better get to the scripture, right? Nehemiah chapter 6. I'm reading from the message, so I might read a little different than your translation. It says, When Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem, okay, these are three of the names of, this, of those enemies that have been given Nehemiah a hard time. All right, here they are back again. Geshem the Arab and the rest of our enemies, there were more, <laughs> heard that I had rebuilt the wall and that there were no more breaks in it. Even though I hadn't yet installed the gates, there was still work to be done. Sanballat and Geshem sent this message, Come and let us meet together at Kephirim in the valley of Ono. Can I just tell you, anytime your enemy starts talking to you and wants to negotiate with you, you say, Oh no, oh no. <laughs> right? That's just good advice right there. Just say, Oh no. <laughs> I knew they were scheming to hurt me, so I sent messengers back with this. I am doing a great work. I can't come down. Why should the work come to a standstill just so I can come down to see you? Good advice, Nehemiah. And they weren't satisfied with that. Four times they sent this message. Four times I gave them my answer. The fifth time, same messenger, same message, Sanballat sent an unsealed letter with this message, I was thinking, why did he send an unsealed letter? What do you do with unsealed letters? You read them. Exactly. You open them and you read them. It's like he's wanting this to be public now. He's putting public pressure on Nehemiah. Where did I stop? Unsealed letter. Yes. The word is out among the nations. Geshem says it's true. 
who was Geshem, one of the enemies, that you and the Jews are planning to rebel. That's why you are rebuilding the wall. The word is that you want to be king and that you have appointed prophets to announce in Jerusalem, there's a king in Judah. The king is going to be told all this. And, and so he's, he's taunting. He is cooking up this scheme. He says the king is going to be told all this. Don't you think we should sit down and have a talk? Dang, he's good. He's really good. It's like, hey, this is what I heard about you. So perhaps we should have a discussion. What's he want? Nehemiah to come down and defend himself. Listen, when you have a call of God on your life, you don't have to defend yourself to anybody. And I don't care what kind of lies people say about you. Oh, my goodness, guys. There's so much I can tell you right now. Let's just say that things happen like that, you know, when you're in leadership. Things are said. You're like, where did you get that? Who told you that? And I love what one pastor said in response, you know, because this happens all the time. Somebody came, well, I heard you said this and that. This pastor said, does that sound like something I would say? He's just asking, does that sound like me? You know me, Kitty. Does that sound like me? And that's the point is I care what people in relationship with me think about me. I don't really care what everybody else thinks about me. You can think whatever you want to. You can listen to whatever story you want to listen to. Okay. But if you know me, you'll know better. And if there's a question, we'll talk about it. Right? We're not going to listen to all the other people out there who have stories. Okay, we better keep reading here. Shouldn't we sit down and have a talk? I sent him back this. (laughs) There is nothing to what you're saying. You've made it all up. They were trying to intimidate us into quitting. They thought they'll give up. They'll never finish it. I prayed. Come on, that's the answer right there for Nehemiah. I prayed, give me strength. Then, this is an interesting twist in the story. I met secretly with Shemaiah, son of Delaiah, the son of Mehetabel, sorry, people for butchering your names at his house he said i got an idea let's meet at the house of god inside the temple let's find safety behind locked doors because they're coming to kill you okay just my interpretation here (laughs) this is obviously somebody that nehemiah knew he's trying to get nehemiah to go hide in a hole and worse he wants to use a religious cover Let's go hide in the temple. Let's get behind locked doors. Let's hide behind religion. Is anybody listening to me today? Let's use religious excuses because that seems more holy. And we can find chapter and verse to cover it. Are you hearing me? I mean, this is a friend, evidently. Let's hide behind religion. Let's take cover. Let's, Let's just... Cloister ourselves away. Nehemiah, again, because he prayed, he said, I said, why would a man like me run for cover? And why would a man like me use the temple as a hideout? Come on. The church isn't meant to be a place to hide. 
It's a place to get strong, but you don't hide here. You take your strength and you go do what you were commanded to do. Love God, love people, make disciples. I love the house of God. I'll never use the house of God as cover to hide. <laughs> There's so much here, you guys. Gosh, I got to keep reading now. I sensed that God hadn't sent this man. The so-called prophecy. Do you see what's important to judge even the word that comes to you? The so-called prophecy he spoke to me was the work of Tobiah and Sanballat, the enemies. They had hired him. He had been hired to scare me off, to trick me, a layman, into desecrating the temple and ruining my good reputation so they could accuse me. Oh, my God, don't let Tobiah and Sanballat get by with all the mischief they've done. And the same goes for the prophetess, Noadiah. See, I mean, sometimes good people, here's what I think. Good people in a bad place will act in ways they normally wouldn't act. So you have to know the motivation and the spirit of where that's coming from. Does that make sense? You judge every word, the scripture says. And the other prophets who have been trying to undermine my confidence. See, that's the point. Undermining your confidence. Gets you to doubt. Isn't that what Satan did in the garden? Has God really said not to eat fruit of that tree? Huh. See, it's sowing a seed of doubt. And now we're going to see a conclusion. Hallelujah. The wall was finished. Oh, my gosh. Nehemiah, you're my hero. On the 25th day of Elul. It had taken, get this, 52 days. Wow. Nehemiah is a stud. When all our enemies heard the news and all the surrounding nations saw it, our enemies totally lost their nerve. They knew that God was behind this work. That's, what we, that's all we need. That's the only validation we need for everyone to know that God is behind this work. Listen, God can validate you. You don't need to validate yourself. You get busy and do what you've been called to do and forget about the enemies. Don't let anything cause you to lose your confidence. You stay strong. You stay focused. You remember you have a purpose and you don't let anybody distract you from it. Let's pray and ask Holy Spirit for some help here. God, thank you for this, this word today. Thank you, God, for the opportunity to look at this story once more. Holy Spirit, I know there's things here that we're supposed to pick up and use for our work, our life, this season, this moment. So we thank you for it, God, in Jesus' name, amen. A few things that I want you to remember as takeaways today, things you might wanna write down, because I want this to apply not just to us corporately as a church, I want it to apply to you individually. You know, because I realize this also is true for you in the work that you are called to do individually. Because I believe, according to Ephesians 2.10, that every one of us has been created for a work that was created before the world began. That God knew your name, had your story written, and I just want to live my story. How about you? I say, God, what did you create me for? That's the thing that will bring me the most fulfillment. I think I know. It's so funny. I spent 16 years in broadcasting, most of you know. My last assignment was at Focus on the Family in Colorado Springs, producing Dr. Dobson's show. 30 million people every day heard my work say, ooh, exactly. That's why I did that. 
trying to impress you, right? I'll never forget one day when I was there, we'd had a, a guest speaker at our chapel, and he just, <laughs> he just nailed me with a message about purpose and Jesus' call on our lives. And, and I began to realize, not that I was in sin, but I was living my dream for me. And I heard the Lord say, Tim, I've let you live your dream for you. I've got a dream too, if you're interested. See, he didn't condemn me, didn't say, you're, you sinner. He just said, you're not living the dream I have for you. Are you interested? Because <laughs> he's a good father, and that's how he does it. And I said, yeah, I think I am. And here I am, okay? I believe this is God's dream for me, to be with you and to build this house and to bless this city. I believe it. I believe it. So it's important to know that you were created for a purpose. I remember I went back to focus a few years later to speak at that same department I used to work for. And I was, man, I'm just on fire. I'm like, guys, listen, I know you're here. You got a job. You get a paycheck. You get benefits. You have insurance. I get all that. That's awesome. But just don't forget that you were created for a purpose. And this may be it, but it may be a step to that. And it's like deer in the headlights. People don't really believe that they were created for great things. And I beg to differ, and I'll fight you all day long to say, you were created for great things. They're going to look different than my things. That doesn't make them any better or less. It means we need each other to do what we've been called and created to do because we're a body, and we need every joint to supply what is missing because when that happens and we're together, guess what? That's the church Jesus said, the gates of hell can't stop. That's what we need. Every member doing their part. So my first point is this. God had given Nehemiah a work to do. Nehemiah knew his purpose. Do you? <laughs> now, that's an intimidating question. I mean, I remember in my 20s, like, hi, hey, Lord, just show me what to do, you know? And it's like one time I, I, when I was praying, I, I just I heard Holy Spirit say, well, what do you want, a road map? And I was like, yeah. That'd be awesome. Wouldn't that be great to get a roadmap? It's like, yeah, that'd be good. <laughs> but immediately when I said it, I knew I was being foolish. It's like there's been times when the Lord revealed things to Krista for me. The, the big one was becoming a pastor. And when my pastor came to me and said, I think you're supposed to take this church, I literally bawled. I'm like, no, please no, <laughs> you know? It's like, I worked at Focus on the Family. That was my dream. I did broadcasts about the 2,000 pastors every month who leave the ministry because of stress and burnout and being turned out by their congregations. 2,000 a month. Did you hear me? 2,000 every month in this country. That's That's shocking. And Krista had told me early on in our marriage, I never wanted to marry a pastor. And I'm like, why? She said, I never wanted to be a pastor's wife. And I said, why is that? She said, because I've never met a happy one. Think about that. 2,000 pastors a month leaving the ministry due to stress, burnout, being turned out with a wife and children in tow. 
listen, God's call in my life should never be at the sacrifice of my family. And it never will be. I won't let it. So if you (laughs) expect me to choose you over them, ain't going to happen. Just want you to know that. And you want me to take that stand. Jesus, help me not going down rabbit trails today. (laughs) You got to know your purpose. You got to know so that you can stand. Because guess what? Everybody else loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. You want Jesus' plan for your life. That's what you want. Nehemiah had a purpose. He knew what it was. Number two, God had given Nehemiah favor, which tells me this. He will never call you to do something without making provision for that work. Another way of putting it is where God guides, God provides, right? And I get it that sometimes that's hard to see. Nonetheless, I'm taking him at his word. He is my provider. When he calls me to do something, why would he call me to do something and not provide the means to do it? Does it mean it's always going to be easy or just laid in my lap? I'm going to have to trust. Another word is faith. I'm going to have to have faith for that. I've said this a couple times. I love what Chris Vallotton teaches. He said, Everybody wants to read books about how to find your five strengths, right? Learn your strengths and then go do that. And God says, well, once you find out your five strengths, that's good to know because those are the areas I won't be using you. We need to find out the five areas where you really suck. And that's where I'm going to use you. Because when it's about you and your strength, then you take credit for that. It's because I'm so good, right? That's why I wept when I was asked to be a pastor. I'm like, ah, I don't, that's not me. Be careful what you say. <laughs> you can do whatever God has called you to do. Shane, this earpiece is driving me crazy today. Just FYI. Yeah, sorry. Play with my ear. <laughs> God will never call you to do something without making provision for the work. So anytime I get nervous about this place, I'm going to say, God, it's your church. It's not my church. You know what your church needs. We're going to trust you. By golly, look, he provides. Look at that. Come on. The third point, there was opposition to the work. And anything you attempt to do for God will encounter opposition. There's a precious promise for you. (laughs) Jesus said, in this world, you'll never have any trouble. It's all just going to go smooth as silk. No worries. (laughs) He said, no, in this world, you're going to have trouble. But you be of good cheer. Don't forget who called you to this. I have overcome the world, Jesus said. And I promise you, when I left this place, I will never leave you or forsake you. I'll be with you how often? Always. Always. That's his promise to us. Anything you attempt to do for God will encounter opposition. Someone said, if you don't run into the devil every once in a while, it means you're going the same direction. Right? 
you're going to encounter opposition because the two of you are at odds with each other. Chris is going to help me. Ooh. <laughs> I don't know. Let me just pull this up. I think it's more this earpiece. It's flopping around in my ear. Pay no attention to the beautiful people at the front. <laughs> Can I tell you a funny story? <laughs> okay, I got a call. There we go. Much better. Tell you a funny story aside. One time, we had a guest speaker, not at this church. And he got up and forgot to turn his pack on. And I came up behind him like Christy just did. I put my hands on his hips and I said, let me turn you on. <laughs> He said, never tell a man that. Never, never, never. <laughs> so funny. So funny. Okay. Where were we again? That was a great distraction there. Restoration is a real church. Can I just say that? We're a real church. No phony balonies here. All right. Anything you attempt to do for God will encounter opposition. Say amen. If you don't think so, you're going to be disillusioned. To be disillusioned means you had an illusion, right? The illusion is you're never going to encounter any trouble. That's an illusion. It's not real. You're going to encounter some trouble. So you better know it and be prepared for it. Paul says our, I'm sorry, it was Peter, said our enemy is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. So... <laughs> He's talking about you. Don't let him. Just don't let him. He is as a roaring lion. He is not a lion. There is one lion. The lion of the tribe of Judah. The devil's version is toothless. Now he can roar and he can gum you to death. Okay? But he got no teeth. Jesus took out all his teeth on the cross. He kicked him in the teeth. What he did. <laughs> He's a gummy lion now. It's all he's got and a roar. He's just a bully. How you respond to your opposition will determine if you can be deterred, distracted, or disqualified from the work. Now, let me, let me say something serious. You can be disqualified. That's possible. I think some of the challenges that have come our way in 32 years of ministry... <laughs> I'm very aware that some of my responses could have disqualified me. And I'm not saying that I've handled every one of them perfectly either. That's how we learn, right? But I'm saying keep your heart tender. Don't let the enemy get a double win by turning that poison into hardness of heart that will disqualify you from further usefulness. I'm just giving you that as a warning because it is possible to miss that Ephesians 2.10 work. You know, the scripture says in heaven, it doesn't say there'll be no more tears. It doesn't say there'll be no tears. It says he will wipe away every tear, right? 
I mean, it says there's no tears in heaven. Say, so you've been listening to Eric Clapton, not reading the scripture. <laughs> there will be tears in heaven, and he will wipe them away. Why will there be tears? My theory, in eternity, we see it all. We see clearly, and we see some of the things that we missed. We see what could have been. Not to shame us. It's because now we see through a glass dimly, but one day we see face to face. I want it all, baby. I want everything Jesus has for me. I want everything Jesus has for you. Again, it's not all just about this work, but God called you here for a reason. So there's something here for you too. There's something in your life here to accomplish that I want to see you get all he has and not be deterred, not be distracted or disqualified from the work. I love it. I listened to Rabbi Wednesday night and he said this from Psalm 23. I'd never heard this before taught this way. He said in Psalm 23, the psalmist writes, you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemy. Lindsay sang it today. She was right on. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. Rabbi says, promotion always comes in the presence of enemies. That's good. Wish I'd said that. Giving Rabbi props for that. Giving him credit. So when you see opposition, when you see enemies, guess what? Promotion is at hand. So don't get discouraged. Come on, I said, don't get discouraged. Promotion is at hand. You just got to have the right perspective. God's heart is to promote you. The enemy wants to just steal from you. (laughs) In the presence of my enemies, you prepare a table. Promotion's coming. And I believe here at Restoration, we've been given a work to do. I believe that. Randy, you want to help me out? Get a couple of buckaroos. I've got something I prepared for you today. So this is where I do my unashamed pitch for you to join the work on the wall here at Restoration. I didn't hand these out earlier because I didn't want to distract you. (laughs) But what I've done with this handout is I have listed, we call them the big seven Big seven areas of ways you can get involved here at the work of restoration. Now, here's here's the lie that especially the American church believes. God's call for your life is to come to church and to sit and listen to a good message and then go home and do it again next week. (laughs) And that's not true. That's like a nightmare for me. (laughs) And I want you to wake up from the nightmare. I want you to awake to the real dream that God has for you. So what I've attempted to do with this handout is to condense it to seven big areas. Again, we call them the big seven. And this is not an exhaustive list, but it's a pretty good start. Seven areas that include 45 different ways you could be involved in the work of restoration. Now, I want you to hear me well. God's work in your life is not limited to 45 ways. There's a million and one ways God can use you. But if he's called you to restoration, 
I'm just saying he's called you to do more than fill a seat on Sunday mornings. You bring a part to the body that we are desperate for. That without you, we lack. You know who taught me this, this word was Richard Twist. Richard Twist was a Native American leader that I met while I was working for Focus. About seven foot tall, long silky black hair due his hind end that Krista liked way too much. <laughs> that long silky black hair. And Richard said to me one time, he goes, Tim, tell me this, who is the Native American Billy Graham? And I was so embarrassed because I didn't know. I was like, sorry, I don't know. He said, well, you're not supposed to because there isn't one. (laughs) I said, okay, good. He goes, because you don't need us. You're doing fine without us. You only need us as objects of your pity to send youth groups with boxes of blankets and canned goods to the reservation and call it missions. Are you hearing me today? That was like, whoa. He said, you don't even know that the body of Christ is missing an arm called the First Nations Church. And you need us to be complete. And there's a strength we're to bring to the house. He said, you're doing okay with one arm. How much more could you do with two? And it just awakened me. That's why I'm so passionate about First Nations ministry. Because we need them. Need them strong. Say amen. Amen. Need them strong. We need the Latino church strong. We need the African American church strong. Because we need each other. We need the Asian church strong. We're missing something without them. And I'm determined and honorary enough that we're just going to see it happen. And when you're not plugged in and involved, we're missing something. There's something that you were created for that will make this house better. And I want it. (laughs) Not just for me, I want it for you. Because you're better connected to the body too. There's a life flow that goes both ways, right? Lord, help me. The blood pumps. It's like it circulates, right? It doesn't just flow one way. It circulates. Life is to circulate through this body. When we're connected, that happens. When body parts get cut off, what happens? Gangrene. It's yucky. Decay. Decomposition. Can I just say I've been a part of the church long enough? When I say the church, I mean the big, big C church. And I don't say this flippantly or lightly. I can look across this city right now and see body parts everywhere I look. From churches that have imploded, exploded. Paul says cannibalized each other. The enemy has done a really good job. I give him props for that. But I also say it ain't over yet. It ain't over yet. As long as we're still here and breathing, it ain't over yet. And we can do it better. I am so tired (laughs) of cleaning up the mess. I mean, you know, here's the deal. I'll retract that. I don't mind cleaning up the mess. I'm really tired of seeing wounded people. I'm really tired of 
watching believers cooperate with the enemy and blame it on Jesus. They're like the friend of Nehemiah who tries to get him to hide in the temple and cover, lock away, run from the call. We've been given a work to do. This sheet has 45 ways you can get involved. Maybe none of those hit you. Okay, tell me what does. Because there's room for you in this house, okay? So you don't have to fill this out today if you don't want to. Take it on, pray over it, whatever. But I, here's my deal. Every person who comes to restoration needs to have something they're connected to other than just that seat. Because we're going to be so much stronger. That's what I want. I want us stronger. I want you stronger. I'll say this. We're determined to make this not just a once a year recruitment, but an ongoing emphasis. That restoration, you don't just sit here, you get involved. We've created this wonderful little kiosk back here, thanks to Daryl, his amazing carpentry skills. That is a permanent fixture now in the house. And it has those seven areas and some little cards you can fill out and turn in. So even those who aren't here today, we're talking next week, next month, next year, till Jesus comes. My goal, my intention, because my job is to equip you for the work of ministry, for the work of service. Sometimes it'll look like holding the slow sign out there so people won't run over you when you cross the street. That's a good thing, right? Sometimes it'll look like picking up trash on the curb as you come in early on a Sunday so the place looks nice. Sometimes it'll, be, it'll involve working with Julene and helping the place get clean during the week or working with Carrie in the office or Isla or working with Kip on a project. There's more ways to be involved than just on this platform. And that's what makes the body function. We've been given a job to do, a work to do. And here's what was cool with Nehemiah. When he brought this vision to the people of Israel, listen, they'd been living in devastation. Why didn't somebody else do it? Well, because somebody had to lead, <laughs> right? And in a, another land, God speaks to this, this guy with a tender heart. He says, I'm not happy that my city is in disrepair. And Nehemiah just says, okay, use me if you can. And he brings this vision and this plan to the city of Jerusalem. And I'm so glad that the people, it said, had a heart to build. When he brought the idea, the vision, people said, let's do it. Even though they've been living with it like it is, why do you care? It's good enough. It's, you know, it's always been like this. A leader stood up and said, but it doesn't have to be. Saints, can I tell you, it doesn't have to be like it is right now. I say that about your family. Your family doesn't have to be the way it is right now. God wants to do a building work in your family. He wants to do a building work in your school, students. You can make a difference on your campus. That's why we sent our students to that conference. It's like, come on. Let's set some people on fire and turn them loose in these schools. Ready to see that happen. People had a heart to build. It says everyone was involved. Each person, each family had a heart. I love it if you read it. It says Nehemiah stationed 
than by families in the low places of the wall. It's like there was a specific area, and this family, this tribe, this group were perfect for that. It's like, yeah, there's a low place. That's a perfect place for you. Can I tell you that there are plenty of places on the wall for you to be involved in whatever way you feel gifted, skilled, called to do it. That's why I gave you 45 to get you started. I also love it that it says that the workers, listen to this, worked with a trowel in one hand and a sword in the other. Because they knew there was an adversary. They knew that Sanballat and Tobiah and all these other ayahs were after them and were trying to discourage the work and get their leader down off the wall. Nehemiah says, you, you work with a trowel in one hand and a sword in the other. Can I tell you this? If you have something to say to me about the work that you think isn't being done the way you think it should be done, I will listen to you much easier if I see a trowel in your hand than if you're just an armchair quarterback trying to critique what I'm doing. Janet, can I get a witness? I saw you guys take criticism for what you were doing. I'm just like, Jesus, help me here. I'm watching all this debate about the Proposition 2 for the school levy Tuesday. I don't care where you fall on it. I'm just saying I'm really sick of all the critics who are sitting back criticizing those who are trying to do something. Well, get up off your tail and do something, not just criticize the ones that are. Come on. Criticism is easy. It's easy to point out the problems. I'm going to start preaching if I don't get off that one right there. Which means, the point is, you must constantly stay on guard. The first person you have to guard is you. You have to guard your heart. You have to guard your mouth. You have to guard your eyes. Don't get distracted. When you read the story, when you get home, you're going to find out that the people got distracted. Thank God Nehemiah didn't. But the people did. People started looking and listening to these enemies and to the work, how overwhelming it was. They even began to, to be critical of the leadership because some of the leaders were doing things they shouldn't be doing. And Nehemiah stepped in and said, you're right. That shouldn't happen. Again, I'm not saying you can ever have a difference of opinion or have an observation that will help the process. But what I am saying is your heart must be guarded and protected at all costs. And if you find yourself in a position where you're starting to just be critical, <laughs> if you're an accuser of the brethren, guess what? That's the name of the devil is accuser. That's what he does in heaven, accusing you day and night, the scripture says. You don't want to be on his team. You don't want to be an accuser. <laughs> You want to be part of the solution and not part of the problem. Amen? I love what Coldplay wrote. Am I a part of the cure or part of the disease? Come on, you get to choose which side of that equation you land on. Theology by Coldplay. Love it. You've got to know who you're fighting for. That'll help you keep your heart pure. Nehemiah 4.14. Put your minds on the master, great and awesome, and then fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. Listen, 
This battle is worth it because of who we're fighting for. We're fighting for our brothers, our sons, our wives, our daughters. We're fighting for this city. We're fighting for the next generation. We're fighting for this time, this season that we've been born into for such a time as this. And the battle is worth you engaging in. I have no apologies handing out those forms. Because you were brought to the kingdom for such a time as this and for this purpose. So there you are. I'm just honored enough to make you make a decision, right? And you can come to church here and not do a thing and we'll still love you. I'll still hug your neck and we'll have fun together. But you'll have a lot more fun when you jump in and be involved. The last point I'll make is this, and it's one I don't like to make because it sounds so selfish. As I was preparing my notes, it's like, Lord, really? Do I have to? It's like, you know, I traveled and spoke in other churches before I became a pastor. Did that for eight years. And, and messages I would preach sounded a lot like this. Love your pastor, support your pastor, pray for your pastor. Because 2,000 a month are leaving the ministry and they need you. And when I would preach that message with all my heart, people would sit there and look at me like, Yeah, but you don't know my pastor. And then I knew why 2,000 a month were leaving the ministry. And if the pastor was there, he's sitting there on the front row looking at his shoes, and his wife has her face buried in Kleenex because she never wanted to be a pastor's wife because she never met a happy one. So my point is this, loyalty to leadership. I just want to say, this is a kingdom concept. This isn't me trying to be a king. This is a kingdom concept. Remember what the enemy accused Nehemiah of trying to do? Oh, you just want to be king. That's it. We're going to go tell. Listen, if you're in a church where the pastor wants to be king, I would say probably you're in the wrong church. You can do that if you want to. I would say the days of one-man ministry are over. Over. I'm grateful that there are strong men and women who we look up to as leaders and examples. To me, a healthy church isn't about one person. Same coin, other side, though, is loyalty to leaders is so important, guys. If we're going to do this together, listen to what happened with Nehemiah. This is where this point came to me. Nehemiah 4, verse 19. He said, then I spoke to the nobles and officials and everyone else. I said, there's a lot of work going on. We are spread out along the wall, separated from each other. So when you hear the trumpet call, join us there and God will fight for us. And so we kept working from first light until the stars came out, half of us holding lances. I also instructed the people, each person and his helper is to stay inside Jerusalem, guards by night, workmen by day. We all slept in our clothes. (laughs) I, my brothers, my workmen and the guards backing me up. Wow. And each one kept his spear in his hand, 
even when getting water. There was something about the loyalty of the people to Nehemiah that allowed them to do what they were, the challenge they were given. Guys, hear me well. Can I, can I step out of my role as pastor for a moment? And if I were not your pastor, I'd say, guys, if you want to succeed, loyalty to your leaders is not an option. I'm not saying you can ever challenge or question or discuss, but your heart, your attitude will either attract Holy Spirit or repel him. Remember a couple of weeks ago? You're either a receptacle or you're a repellent. It's not about making kings. Somebody had to lead. Nehemiah had to step out. There were lots of people in Jerusalem living in the city like it was. Somebody had to say, I see it different. Step out and start leading. Did he do it perfectly? I'm sure not. (laughs) Do I? Absolutely not. But the favor of God will come, not because you have a perfect leader, but because you said, God, we want to do it your way. For whatever reason, 10 years ago, God saw the condition of the body in our city and said, will you step up? When I was working at Focus, I did a program about a young pastor who was first-time pastor at probably a little tiny town in North Missouri, right? little tiny rural community with a church that was dying. Like, everyone was 80 and older, and so they were literally dying, right? Every person that died, there was 15 people on the roster the next week, and then 13, and it was that kind of a church, and this pastor went to visit one of the congregation members that was in the hospital, and her name was Pearl, and (laughs) he was young and wanted to do something, right? And he's like, what can we do for you, Pearl? What do you need? And she's like, I'm good, Pastor. I'm going to see Jesus real soon. So I'm okay with that. And he's like, isn't there something we can do? She said, well, you want to sing me a song? (laughs) She's like, I'm not that good of a singer, but what would you like to hear? She said, Amazing Grace. That's my favorite. Can we do that one? He goes, I can handle that. So Pearl and the pastor and his wife hold hands around this hospital bed. They start singing Amazing Grace. First verse, they made it through. Second verse, Pearl closed her eyes. And about the middle of the third verse, Pearl slipped into eternity. And the Lord just took a two before and smacked me upside the head. He said, Tim, I've let you live your dream for you. I've got 150 people lined up who want your job here at Focus. But I have very few who will go sing to Pearl. And I said, okay. And here I am. That was 1997. 
And I've been working with the local church ever since. I stepped out of the impressive, ooh, role. And I've been in a trench, watching the blood flow and recognizing my blood flowing down the trench once in a while. But I want you to know it's worth it. Because Jesus said, I will build my church. Jesus' plan has always been for his church to be strong. Because there is no plan B. And it's not about me. And it's not about you. It's about him. And it's about his heart for this world. It's his heart for Pearl. And it's not just singing one while she dies. It's raising up a bride, beautiful, without spot, wrinkle, or blemish, that he will return for one day. And in the meantime, what will we do? Will we give ourselves to the things that matter to him? I have people who say, well, my ministry is outside the church. And I'm like, I'm so glad about that. But you realize without a strong local church, those things wouldn't be possible. So I'm not against parachurch. I was one for 20 years. But my conviction is, this is the front line. Because from this house, you being strong, you doing what you're called to do and making this house function, there'll be a lot of awesome things that'll be birthed from this place. But this is the place of strength where you come and get equipped and fed. What do we say? Love, lead, launch. It's what we do. We love people wherever they're at. We show them the love of the Father that is, doesn't come filtered. It's raw, baby. When you were enemies with God, Jesus died for you. That's the love. That's the radical sold out love that his church must demonstrate. But we're also called to lead, right? That's the making disciples part. Help people grow strong in their walk. So they realize it's not just about them. It's about what they're to contribute. So they're healthy and can then reach out to others and then launch you in whatever place you're called to minister. Might be your workplace, might be your school, might be your neighborhood, might be your community, might be Togo, West Africa. Come on, somebody. There's plenty of opportunity. You just don't know. I didn't know when I started, but I love what I do, and I'm living the dream. Is it easy? Talk to this lady right here. She'll tell you how it is. But I wouldn't have it any other way. It's hard work, but it's worth it. 52 stinking days. Nehemiah, how did you do that? We're in 50 days of awakening. <laughs> I'm not trying to be doubting Timothy here. I'm just saying, probably going to take us longer than 50 days. Probably is. But you know what? Something significant can happen in these 50 days. So that by the time we get to Easter, we're so convinced that this is right and that we're supposed to do this, that we can rise up with the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead that now lives in you. I kind of want to see Jesus' church in St. Joseph resurrected. How about you? 
I'm ready to be a part of it. I don't want to just see it. I want to be part of it. I want that life in me because that's what's going to reach people and make the difference. I believe we're going to see something significant happen in this next season as we approach our five-year anniversary. I believe this season of awakening is for the purpose of us arising to our destiny, to the reason God put us here five years ago. A strong church, a body fully functional that the gates of hell have no chance of stopping. When we're healthy, then we get to help make a healthy world that we encounter. But it starts with us right here. Do you agree? Say amen. All right, let me pray for you this morning. You hear that music? It's music to my ears right there. Sometimes you just have to listen. Father, you're so awesome. This was your plan, not ours. This was your idea. Thank you, God, for choosing us. We didn't deserve it. We didn't ask for it. But here we are. Just like me 10 years ago. And sometimes the size of the project is so big that we freak out and we think there's no way. And I kind of think that's what qualifies us. When we realize there's no way we can do this, then we recognize how desperate we are for you. Lord, there are situations that people are facing here this morning, personally, in their homes, in their bodies, in their families. Thank you, Lord, that you are bigger than any of those situations. But Lord, you want us to say, as your word says, it's not by might, it's not by power, but it's by your spirit. So we're surrendering to you today, God, In this awakening season, Father, I pray that right now, individually, each of us, wherever we're at, Lord, in our personal life, you just might want to 
Ask Holy Spirit, what is it in my life that's bigger than you right now that I've made a mountain out of? That's kind of the shadow casting over everything else, and that's all I can see at the moment. And if you have that in your mind, then I would just surrender that to the Lord this morning. There's no temptation. The word says that has come upon you, but that what's common to man, and God is faithful to make a way of escape if you'll surrender and submit that to him. Hmm. Thank you, God. Holy Spirit, you're, you're moving now. You're ministering. I know you are. So glad, Lord, it's not about me and how impressive I speak or whether I said all the right words or whether my earpiece cooperated this morning. But I know you're speaking. <laughs> you used a donkey once, so you can probably use me too. Each of us, wherever we're at, God, would you just reveal to us how critical the part we play is. Not one person here today or watching online or who watches this later has been left out from that equation. There's a reason why you're here today and listening to this because you have a part to play. And this body is lacking something because you're not fully connected. And that's not a condemning word. That is an encouraging word. Because when you connect, life begins to flow. Fruit begins to happen. The Lord just wants you to taste and see that he's good today. He's a good father. He has nothing but good plans for you. He knew you from before you were born. He had your story written in his book. He wants to see that story come to life today. So God, we say, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done in us, through us. We take the command seriously to love the Lord our God with all our heart soul, mind, and strength to love our neighbor as ourself, God, and to go into all the world. <laughs> if we love you and we're secure in your love, we can love other people. And then we can be useful wherever you send us, even if it's across the street or around the world. Holy Spirit, build your church. Use these living stones, God. Show us our place on the wall. Help us ignore the Sanballats and Tobias. Help us ignore the religious cop-out that sometimes is offered 
to us. We don't want religion, Jesus. We want relationship with you that takes care of everything and answers all the questions. It's where our life comes from. Build your church, Jesus, on this rock of revelation. And may we never again blink when the gates of hell threaten. We say, greater are you who is in us than he that is in the world. Instead, let the world see a strong, glorious, life-giving bride rise up that we can demonstrate your love and your power to those around us. In Jesus' name. If you agree, say amen. Let's give heaven thanks today. Thanks for listening today. We'd love to have you visit us in person at Second and Francis at our 10 a.m. Sunday morning celebration. To support this online ministry or to get more information about Restoration Church, visit restorationstj.com. Thanks again for listening. You take your rightful place.